I'll pray and then we'll look at the text together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the good promise that your word is not bound. You make it go forth into our world in all circumstances, lockdown included. I thank you that we still have the means of live stream that make it possible for people to keep hearing your word and growing in their trust in you. I pray that that would happen tonight, Lord. I pray that you would use me to preach this word faithfully and apply it thoughtfully. Uh, Encourage our hearts tonight, Lord. Help us to see how wonderful it is uh, to know and be known by you in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What is the most unforgettable meal you've ever had? A meal which for really good or really bad reasons, just you'll never forget. For me, it was when I was served up a kind of thick-cut lamb steak with a side of couscous while over in the US uh, on my uni placement. Uh, But this meal was kind of memorable for wrong reasons. Uh, I'd been taken to this particular restaurant because my friends knew the chef who worked there. And when this chef heard that I was coming, he decided to cook something for me that was uniquely Aussie. So lamb it was. Uh, The only problem was that when I cut into the lamb he served me, I kind of basically found out I was eating raw meat. Maybe very lightly seared on the thinnest outside layer, but basically purple uh, throughout the rest of it. I mean, this thing basically still had a pulse at this point. Now, the Chris of today uh, would, in the same situation, just politely ask for that to be taken back to the kitchen and cooked a little bit more. But the Chris of 15 years ago believed the best way forward, the way not to offend, was to plough on and eat that thing. After all, mum had taught me to always eat whatever was put in front of you. And the pressure to eat it just was intensified when the chef himself came out of the kitchen and started hovering around the table, waiting to hear me give him my big Aussie tick of approval. And so I started eating the squishy, squelchy, raw meat. And as I began to eat it, the kind of panic started swirling in my mind. I just started thinking, this can't be safe. I'm eating raw meat here. I mean, if this is something as like mad lamb disease, I'm sure to catch it. So I managed to get about halfway through that lamb, enough to be borderline polite, and, but then I just tapped out. I simply could not keep going eating that raw meat. I'll never forget this meal that left me feeling both unsafe and actually unsatisfied. I went away hungry from the few raw morsels that I managed to get down. Well, there's something similar going on with Elisha and his followers at the beginning of the two meals in our passage tonight. See, meal number one is unsafe to eat. Meal number two threatens to leave Elisha and the other people unsatisfied. But these meals are unforgettable, not so much for the way they begin, but the way they end. See, in both meals, God shows up and completely reverses the situation miraculously. A harmful stew he makes harmless, hungry people he satisfies. Uh, These meals would have been unforgettable for those involved. 
Uh, but they need to become unforgettable for us too because both of these meals that we're going to look at tell us about God. They remind us that he is the God who is committed to keeping his people safe and leaving them satisfied. So what we'll do is look at how God shows us that across these two meals and then think about what it all means for us in light of God's bigger promises that we see fulfilled in Jesus. So let's look at meal number one. Harmful stew made harmless. Uh, This little story, I think, gives us a snapshot of the God who keeps his people safe. And we all want to be kept safe uh, from that which might do us harm. Uh, That's why we put on seatbelts, why we wear helmets, why we lock our doors at night. Uh, We actually forgot to lock our car recently and then discovered the next morning that someone had found it unlocked and rifled through all the compartments. It was a kind of creepy reminder that the world we live in just isn't quite as safe as we wish it would be. We want to be safe from people who might do us harm, but we also want to be safe from the creation around us that might do us harm. You know, that's why we ask questions like, will our house be kept safe from bushfire? Is that spider in my bathroom going to crawl on my face at night, bite me and then send me to the ER? Will that wild mushroom that my kids are playing with harm them? God's creation is a great thing of beauty, but can sometimes be a great thing of danger too. And actually that's what we see in the poisonous stew of this first meal. Look at verse 38 with me. Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. Now notice the first thing we're told here. There was a famine in that region. So food is in short supply. And that tells us from the outset that there's actually a lot riding on this big pot of stew. See, it might be fine for us to chuck out a dodgy stew, a new recipe that doesn't quite work out. Because we can always redeem that moment by going on a quick supermarket run. But it's no small thing to tip out a huge pot of dodgy stew in famine-ridden Gilgal in the 9th century BC. But it's actually more than just dodgy stew, isn't it? It's downright poisonous. And you see that come out in verse 39 and following. One of them went into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. This guy's not holding back. He fills up his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up into a pot of stew, though no one knew what they were, which is never a great sign. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. I wonder if anyone has ever described your cooking as death in a pot. It's hard to know exactly what these gourds actually are, Some commentators point out that the Hebrew word for gourd is often identified with the Citrellus colosynthus. I practice that a lot. Which produces a yellow, small yellow melon that acts as a strong laxative. Too many of these melons can apparently be fatal. Now, that's just got bad written all over it. And imagine if this culinary disaster happened at a dinner party that you were hosting. You know, after your guests start eating, 
Chaos breaks forth. One guest starts gagging, another guest starts running to your bathroom, and still another guest starts crying out, there's death on this plate. You've got to feel for this wannabe chef in the first meal because he has all the right intentions but all the wrong results. I think we've all been there at some level in life. I remember when I was growing up in the country, one of our neighbours would often remind me of the time she had to babysit me at her house next door when I was a little kid. Now, apparently, she had set me up at her kitchen table with all this painting to do, and apparently, after I'd finished my painting, I decided that I needed to wash out all my paint and be helpful. The only problem was that I used her fish tank to wash out all the paint. She would always speak of her panic as she walked into that kitchen, seeing me fill that tank with leftover paint and watching as the fish desperately tried to swim away from the growing colour cloud that was filling the tank. You see, this wannabe chef is a little bit like that in this this story. He clearly wants to help out and do the right thing. That's why he goes looking for those herbs and, and those gourds to bulk out the stew, to give it a little bit more flavor. That's why he's the one doing all the cutting and food prep. He has all the right intentions, all the wrong results. So what's Elisha's reaction to this chaos? What's his reaction to this wannabe chef? Does he walk up to him, kind of just get in his face and say, look, you had one job to do here. No, Elisha calmly works as God's servant in this moment. And by the power of God, what is harmful is made harmless. You see that in verse 41. Elisha said, get some flour. He he put it into the pot and said, "Serve serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Uh, The flower Elisha uses here, it doesn't have any spiritual or magical or even scientific properties that bring about the change. It's not like the powers in the flower, so to speak. Uh, Like the salt that Elisha throws into the Jericho water back in 2 Kings 2, God sometimes uses visual signs to act as reminders of his power to heal or restore or save in a particular moment. Uh, He does this, as as Ralph Davis says, to give us pegs on which to hang the memory of his works. But notice that God doesn't simply give them a, a new stew. He actually transforms the old one. God makes what is harmful safe. A large pot of steaming hot poison is transformed into a large pot of steaming hot nourishment. Same stew, but without the gagging, the screaming, the running. They could now eat it in safety. Now, on on first read, this death in a pot episode kind of seems a bit obscure and random to us, maybe even a little bit funny. But actually, it's teaching us an important point about God's power to keep his people safe, safe from harm, particularly from the harmful realities of creation. God transforms something that is dangerous in creation into something safe. And just imagine if God were to do that at kind of 
every level of creation. Uh, Imagine never needing to put on sunscreen because the UV no longer burned your skin. Imagine you could just go on your nature walk and eat any leaf or berry or mushroom that you came across knowing that they're all safe and tasted great. Imagine if you could walk into Melbourne Zoo, hop over the fence of the big cat enclosure and just go up to a lion and give it a big bear hug, knowing that it had no desire to rip you to shreds. Can you begin to imagine a a transformed creation in which all that is harmful is made harmless? Well, God can. It's actually a big promise that he makes in the Old Testament about his new creation. Isaiah speaks of the day in which God's chosen Messiah will come and usher in such a new creation. You see that written of in Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 65. In Isaiah chapter 11, Uh, The prophet writes, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. See, this stew episode is a small preview of God's power to bring bring about that big promise when his Messiah comes. God is committed to the ultimate safety of his people. He made sure that there was nothing harmful in that pot that day, and he'll make sure there is nothing harmful in all his creation on that final day. But we're going to think about a little bit more about that soon. But just hold it in your head now that the first meal shows us that God is committed to keeping his people safe, safe from harm. And so if the first meal shows us the God who keeps us safe, the second meal shows us the God who leaves us satisfied. So let's look at that point, hungry people satisfied. Uh, Most of you know that it's not quite enough just to be safe in life. We actually want to feel satisfied too. And I think the current lockdown is a good example of this. You know, it, it might make us feel safe to be in lockdown, but I'm not sure it makes us feel entirely satisfied. You know, preaching to an empty room, yes, makes me feel safe from COVID, but it hardly leaves me satisfied. I want the satisfaction of seeing you all here with me, of talking with you, of shaking your hand, going out to the hall for a cup of tea. I want that satisfaction. And I'm sure it's the same for you And, you know, you might feel cooped up in your house and safe because of that. But you also might be hanging out for the first satisfying lunch or at a cafe or to get your hair cut or the satisfaction of getting rid of the face mask. We want the safe life, but we also want the satisfying life. Well, in meal number two, God is showing us that he has the ability to leave us satisfied as well as safe. Look at verse 42. A man came from Baal-shalasha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some new heads of grain. Now, like the previous meal, this one starts with a man full of good intentions. 
but thankfully not with pockets full of poisonous gourds. Uh, In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? This man comes to Elisha with 20 loaves of delicious, freshly baked bread and some heads of new grain. Now, I imagine this guy probably thinks he was just coming to feed one man, man of God, Elisha. But imagine his surprise when Elisha asks him to actually feed the hundred others with him with what he has. Look at what Elisha says. Give it to the people to eat. Why well, can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. It's kind of like he's saying, hang on, Elisha, you, you want me to divvy up these 20 loaves of bread between a hundred hungry men? You know, by my account, by the size of these loaves, I'm guessing there's a few bites between each person each. It's hardly a satisfying lunch. And it's the same confused response the disciples give Jesus when he feeds an even bigger crowd of people, isn't it, centuries later? Remember what they said in the reading that Bell read out earlier. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. That is, we don't have enough to pull this off. People are not going to be satisfied by this, Jesus. People are not going to be satisfied by this, Elisha. But as Jesus would do centuries later, so God does here in this passage. He pulls off the impossible. He transforms what is deficient into something sufficient, even abundant. God miraculously satisfies a hungry crowd. You see that in the final verses. Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. This meal started with a hundred hungry people and not enough food. It ends with a hundred satisfied people and food left over. And you can imagine them all at the end of this meal, right? Saying to one another, oh man, that was good, but I cannot eat another bite. You want to finish this? No, I'm pretty stuffed too. Maybe just put it over there with the leftovers. Time to have a nana nap. See, this is a wonderful picture of God's willingness and ability to abundantly satisfy his people when they're in need. And like the previous meal, this meal provides a small preview of another big promise God gave to his people in the Old Testament. The Messiah would not only bring about a day of safety, but a day of total satisfaction. Israel had known the painful consequence of their sin in the land. They'd experienced famine and desperate need as judgment for their sin, but God promised a day in which he would remove their sin, forgive it, and bring them into a time of abundant and lasting blessing that would not be hindered or damaged by sin. The prophet Joel, for example, spoke of the day of the Lord in which this big promise of satisfaction would come about. Joel chapter 2, verse 19, The Lord replied to them, I am sending you new grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. 
and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. You see the point God is making with all that imagery? He is promising here a day of lasting satisfaction for his people. Now, doesn't that sound good in a world that so often leaves us unsatisfied? See, even the good things that we desire in this world leave us hungry for more. The dream holiday never seems to be long enough. The dream spouse that we discover has a few more rough edges and annoying characteristics than we originally noticed. The dream job that ends up requiring more hours and more energy than we had hoped. See, most of us don't want, don't want just half satisfaction. We want that fully satisfied reality that God promises in, the, in passages like Joel and gives us a preview of in 2 Kings 4. So taken together, these two meals give us a preview of the God who promises his people lasting safety and lasting satisfaction. So how do we apply the acts of God that we see in these two meals? So is the application at the end of all this, beware soup Sunday because you never know when there's going to be death in a pot. Or should we stop telling those on the supper roster to bring food because, well, God will keep our pantry miraculously stocked? Well, I think God is leaving us with something much better to take away from these meals. You see, as we've seen, these two unforgettable meals show us the ability of God to keep us safe and leave us satisfied. But it also shows us the kindness of God, I think, who willingly helps his servants despite their imperfections and limitations. So that's where I think we'll, we'll focus our application. Take hold of God's great hope previewed in this passage. Take heart in God's great, God, God's great help pictured in this passage. So first, take hold of God's great hope previewed across the two meals. You see, this passage gives you a taste of the lasting safety and satisfaction that God promises to give you, a promise that was foretold in the Old Testament prophets and actually fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. The New Testament shows us that Jesus is that long-awaited Messiah, God's chosen one who would usher in that great hope of lasting safety and satisfaction. Jesus did many miracles to show that he was God's chosen Messiah. Uh, in fact, he did a similar miracle, but on a much greater scale, as we heard, in the feeding of the 5,000. But it was actually through his death and resurrection that Jesus made God's great promise of lasting satisfaction and safety accessible to us. You see, by dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus keeps us safe from the great danger of God's judgment on sin and gives to us the satisfaction of a forgiven life lived now in relationship with God. And by rising to life again, 
Jesus assures us that we too will be raised on the day of his second coming, in which he will bring to us the full realization of that safety and satisfaction of the new creation. You see, on that day, if you trust Jesus, you will see the promises of Isaiah and of Joel and of Revelation in the New Testament in real life. All that is harmful made harmless. All that is lacking provided for. No more poisonous gourds, no more poisonous mushrooms or robbers or disease or sickness or death, safe and satisfying. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, he told people that this life, this hope that comes through faith in him is what we need more than anything else. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. See, if you're tired of living in a world that, is, that constantly leaves you unsatisfied and hungry for more, then God the Father is telling you to look to God the Son and what he does for you. Jesus willingly said no to his own safety and satisfaction so that you might know his promise of lasting safety and satisfaction through trusting in him. So if you haven't already, put your trust in Jesus. Take hold of the great hope that we've been thinking about here tonight from the Bible. If, if you need help with that, if you've got more questions, um, feel free to co- get in contact with me through our website or speak to another Christian that you might know. So take hold of God's great hope. But the second thing I'd say, particularly to those of you who are Christian, is to take heart in God's great help. The great help that we see pictured in this passage. See, the God who promises lasting safety and satisfaction in Jesus is the same God who promises to help us as we live for Jesus. And this passage shows us this. You see, in the first meal, we see God responding with grace in the face of a major stuff-up by one of his prophets. And in the second meal, we see God responding with generosity in the face of another servant's limited resources. And this is actually a wonderful reminder to all of us, I think, that God is gracious in the face of our imperfections and generous in the face of our limitations. And if we just think about those couple of things as we close, just think about how good it is that God is gracious to us in the face of our imperfection. All our mistakes, all our inadequacies, our good intentions that bomb, because there'll be plenty of those in your service of Christ and his people. I still remember when I was the youth group coordinator a number of years ago, and I had organized this youth group social event that just bombed. The location didn't work. The activity definitely didn't work. Behavior was a nightmare, and the other leaders that were there were just left totally discouraged 
by the whole event. Someone actually said to me following that event that they did actually appreciate the way that I went down with the ship that night like a good captain. But that was about the most encouragement that I got. See, like the the prophet in this passage, I kind of had all the best intentions for that night, but I got all the wrong results. And boy, did I feel my imperfections at the end of that night and for days following. And I'm sure you felt your imperfections too in your service of Jesus and his people. You know, maybe it was the Bible study that you led that just tanked. People seem more confused at the end than they were at the beginning. Or maybe it's the comment you thought would be funny on WhatsApp that actually offended someone. Or maybe it's the rebuke you gave someone that in retrospect was too harsh or or maybe not hard enough. Maybe it's all the, the mistakes that you felt you made while you were playing a musical instrument or singing up on our stage here. You see, it's good to know as we feel the sting of our imperfections that God is actually gracious to us and can overcome those unpleasant moments with his same grace. A harmful stew he made harmless. That's what I found in youth group back in those days. God continued to sustain and grow the team despite that disappointing night. He helped me learn and grow from some of the things that I got wrong that night. He continued to sustain and grow the youth ministry. Like the prophet in that first meal, God is gracious to us in our imperfections and to our ministries and people that we serve amongst. So when you come face to face with your imperfections, don't be crushed. Simply thank God for his grace to you and ask for his continual help and provision in your relationships and ministries. He's gracious amidst our imperfections. And just think about how good it is, though, also, that God is generous to us in the face of our limitation. You see, we often look at ourselves and our limited resources, our limited energy levels, our limited time, and think that we just don't have enough. How will we cope? How will I keep going in life? How will our ministry keep growing? And in times of lockdown, my temptation is often to focus more on the limitations of this moment that we're in than God's generous provision that he promises to help us in our time of need. You see, I tend to think, how will people cope? How will they grow? How will they be encouraged during lockdown? Uh, How will your kingdom grow, God? How will I not go crazy just speaking to a camera week in, week out? How are we going to pull off this when there is just so much limitation? Uh, But I was reminded of God's generosity in the face of lockdown limitation recently. My neighbor mentioned to me the other day that we were coming up to the one-year anniversary of entering into the big lockdown of last year. And she reminded me that lockdown actually lasted from July to November last year. That five months, I'd actually forgotten how long that actually was. But you see, I needed to hear that because it reminded me that, well, actually God can provide 
for our needs in lockdown limitation. He did it for five straight months last year. He generously raised up all sorts of people to run live stream, record videos. He sustained our people through Zoom gatherings, walks, phone calls, online evangelism courses. God took a moment of great limitation and generously provided for our needs. Now, I don't know what will be announced tomorrow or Tuesday, but I'm increasingly thinking I don't need to know. All I need to know is that we have a generous God who is actually not bound by the limitation of this moment. The 20 loaves of bread show us that. And Paul says that in Ephesians 3, God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He's generous in the face of our limitation. So what do we do with a passage like this? Well, we take hold of God's great hope and we take heart in God's great help. I love hearing a good, unforgettable meal story and maybe we can share some over Zoom in a moment. Um, but the two meals we come across in 2 Kings 4 are so much more than mere unforgettable stories. These meals aren't told simply to amaze or even just entertain us. They are told to let us know more of God. And so as you read them and meditate upon them, don't lose sight of the God you see on display here, the God who is able to keep you safe and leave you satisfied now in Jesus. Uh, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are the God who keeps us eternally safe and leaves us eternally satisfied through faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, thank you for that great hope. Thank you uh, for the great help that you give to us, Lord your graciousness in the face of our imperfections. And, Father, thank you for your great power in the face of our limitation, your great generosity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.